if you, if you have a Bible handy, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I've asked Taylor to stay up here for just a few moments. We're going to have a brief moment of prayer um, this morning. Romans 12, and I want to share with you um, really verses 9 and following. Um, and we'll, we'll just read down a, a few verses and it says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint, saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but, it, uh, but associate with the lowly. This morning, I know many of you are aware of the, the status of your pastor. He sent out a letter and... Um, God's just really been impressing on me something to share with you in this time. And wait, I've been waiting on God's timing to share it. I didn't know when it would come. Um, I think so many times as God's people and really as, as humans that live in the United States of America, we get impatient and we want to move quickly. And God has a way of slowing us down, doesn't he? This passage of Scripture, the... And, and the, the focal point is verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. There's a time to rejoice with people. There's a time to weep with people. Enter into their suffering. I don't want to ask you as a church, enter into the suffering with your pastor and his family. Enter into it like it's your own. So many times we want to move and God's word is commanding us to weep. Weep with those who weep. I've been through this. I've been, I, can, I can identify with Sarah in so many ways. See, I had a mother who died of cancer very early. And I was still fairly younger, you know, in my 30s. And as I talked with dad, one of the most difficult things he had to do was to show up at church. Why? Because everywhere he looked, he saw my mother at the piano, at the organ, in the choir, with the youth. And she was everywhere. And then people would come up and say the words he always dreaded to hear, and this is what I want to warn you of. Don't ask them how they're doing. Don't, don't use that phrase. And I say this to you as lovingly as I can. Just walk up and put your arm around them and say, can I pray for you and can I pray with you? Enter into the suffering. They're not doing well. And they didn't tell me that. I know that. You know that. Many of you have been in difficult situations. Weep with them. Sit with them in silence. Many of you this morning have had very difficult thanksgivings. And we just need to 
We need to put our arm around one another and say, I love you. Let's sit. So this morning, I just want you to enter into a time of prayer and ask God to be gracious, merciful to the English family. I want to ask you just in silence, right where you are, to pray and say, oh God, help me to learn to weep with those who weep. Let's take a few moments and bow right where you are, if you would. I'm just going to have a few moments of silence, and I, I know silence can be very uncomfortable, deafening to some. But I think it's valuable that we do it before God as we pray. So I just want you to silently pray where you're at. Father God, we cry out to you this morning. God, you know this congregation hurts. God, you especially know the English family hurts today. And God, yet in your word, it asks us to endure trials and difficulties and to do so, God, with joy. God, our joy must be in Jesus, and we can rejoice that he came not only once on this earth to die for sin and to be buried and raised, and, and he's ascended, and he calls us to proclaim this good news of the gospel to all, but we know that he's coming again, and we rejoice in that. But God, your word also asks us as, as believers in Christ that we rejoice with those who rejoice, and yet we enter into a time of weeping with those who weep. God, find us compassionate. Find us merciful to those that are hurting and in the midst of trial. God, knowing that, that God, we don't look to mankind to have the answers. We look to you and you alone. You are a sovereign God. But God, even in the midst of your sovereignty, it doesn't take away our sorrow at times. For our sorrow is what presses us into you to realize that we desperately need you and father i pray that you would increase the faith of pastor english during these difficult days that you would increase the faith of his precious wife and his daughter and his son God, I pray that they would know 
that you and your people love them deeply and dearly. God, help us not to rush. God, none of us knows what tomorrow holds. God, in your word, in the book of James, it instructs us and and tells us our, our life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. God, whether we live 30 years or 50 years or 90 years or 100, God, it's just nothing compared to eternity. God, help us to to learn to dwell on the, the briefness of this life and the joys you've given us in it because of your son, Jesus. Help us not to be in a hurry. God, I know this community looks on upon this church, God, this church body, and they have been a tremendous witness for your namesake. God, I'm convinced you will use this trial, this tribulation that you're allowing this church to go through to grow this church, both in number and in depth. God, people will be looking on and wonder how they can love so well, how they can enter into suffering so well. There are people who want to be a part of something like that. So God, help us to suffer well with one another. And we ask it not for just the sake of the English family, not for our sake, but for your glory alone. Have your will and your way. And God, we thank you. We thank you for the witness of the English family. Father, hold them and comfort them and help us to do the same that we might suffer well with them and weep with them. God, we thank you now for your word. We ask you would bless the study of it that we might walk with you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn them now to Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. Um, you know, n- none of the stuff that we've, we've actually done here other than the music that Taylor so beautifully led us in was actually, I had any idea was really going to happen. And, I, and sometimes I just think we just need to move where God's spirit leads and it's okay. But this morning we're, we're gonna, we'll continue and we'll call it sermon number three and it's Okay. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2, we're going to look there in just a moment. You know, many years, for many, many years, I've worked with teenagers. You know, I referenced my mom. My mom was working with teenagers from the time I was that, that little. That's all I could remember. I would go to roller skating parties and levee slides. That it was a long time ago, right? And so I remember doing that. And then I began to work with teenagers and youth as I grew older. And, I, you know, I, I've been around them a lot, and I've, I've witnessed a lot of young people and got to work with a lot of them. It seems like many, especially the young boys, um, can sometimes be a little bit overconfident. You ever seen that? They, they can. Um, I, I remember many times, you know, they would say, oh, I can take you in basketball. And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. Um, or, or I can take you in wrestling. You know, many of those boys talked about winning. They talked about beating me. And I can't remember any of them that have. Now, that was when I was 30. I know better than to challenge anybody now. 
because I, I can't win anything. But you know, many people talk a good game, don't they? I mean, we, we come to church and, and we put on this face and we know how to say the right things, don't we? We're good at this Christian talk, if you will. And, and we can talk a good talk about Christ. The question I have for you is, can you walk the talk? That's the question this morning. The, 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 the background of this book of Colossians we've been going through, especially in chapter 3, tells us about God's requirements for our relationships with other people. We've, we've been addressing the relationship between the husband and the wife, the parents and the children, the employer and the employee. In this passage, Paul summarizes the most important relationship of all. That is your relationship with the Heavenly Father. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus because you've never turned from your sin and trusted in the payment that He's made for you at the cross, and I, I just urge you that you do so. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you need to turn from your sin and trust in that payment. As the Holy Spirit calls you, I pray you respond in obedience. Or maybe today you, you know, I have a relationship with Christ, but you walk in sin so much, the Spirit of God is quenched in you, and, and you really need to repent of, of those things and begin to serve as God has called you to serve. You see, God's plan is about a holy and a righteous God that desires a relationship with you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to Bethlehem years ago. He was born, laid in a manger, and He lived a perfect life, but He died a death you and I deserve. He died in our place so that He would not only be able to forgive you of your sins if you repent and believe in this truth, but he would, he would give you His righteousness. And not only that, He gives us the best gift of all, Himself. A relationship with Himself. Paul reminds us that all these relationships that we've previously talked about hinge on our relationship with the Lord God Himself and our walk with Him. Many of us are great about saying the right things about Christ, around Christian people. In fact, some of you have heard so many Bible stories before, you know, when you start saying David and Goliath, Jonah and the, and the great fish, or whatever, you know, you're probably going to say Jonah and the whale, right? But it's, it's the great fish if you, if you read the Scripture. And so we, we get all these stories, and we think we know them until we begin to study, right? And sometimes we're so quick with these biblical answers that we forget to listen to God. That it's about a personal walk with Him. Don't let this day pass before you know for certain that you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. 1 John 5.13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of, of, of God that you might know you have eternal life. What things did John write? The whole book of 1 John. Read the whole book. Don't, don't just assume you know what the book says. Read the book of 1 John and know it. But don't let this, this day pass before you have worked out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This morning, as we read this text, we're going to see what Paul describes as what does it look like if we can walk this Christian talk that we've been talking about. Would you stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2? We'll read through verse 6. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You may be seated. As I said, many of us, we know these answers in our mind. We know how to talk the Christian game, if you will. You may be great at giving the Jesus answers when you're in small group. But how is your walk with him this morning? This passage explains how we're to walk. Number one, if you're taking notes, just jot this down. Walk the talk by first being devoted to prayer. Well, we were good until we started talking about devotion to prayer, right? Verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. What is prayer? Well, that's when we bow our heads and pray. Prayer is by definition, is the means by which believers communicate with a holy God. The Spirit, and if you study the Scripture, the the Holy Spirit communicates for us in in words we can't even express sometimes, and it goes from us to Jesus Christ Himself, our High Priest, to the Father. The Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son are always, always, all involved in your prayer life. Always. And effective prayer depends on your faith and a right relationship with God. There's a lot of things God instructs us about when it it talks about prayer. You you know some, some of the passages. God's Word instructs us to ask, right? Ask, seek, knock, right? Pray for the things that your heart wants or or that more importantly in accordance with his will. You know, the the word asking means to knock or to petition or to plead or request for oneself or to intercede for others. God's Word says, he, He describes how we're supposed to pray. One of the things we read in Scripture is we're supposed to pray in secret. If the only time you pray is when you're in front of other people, you're not being obedient to the Word of God. There's also appropriate postures for prayer. And it's more of an attitude of the heart than the outward uh, uh, position. But when we look at Scripture, we see people kneeling to pray. And there's another word we use. It's called prostrate, not prostrate. I'm going to get it right, right? you got to be careful with that word, don't you? What does that mean? What does prostrate mean? It It means spread out on the ground before God. How often do we do that? Why would God ask us to do that? That's an act of humility. To say, I have nothing to offer you, God. Kneeling, same thing, act of humility. But it also tells us not to use vain repetition. You ever been around someone who always prays the same prayer before dinner? I have family members, you know, you can just finish the prayer. And you're like, you know what they're going to say before they say it. Now, I'm not saying you can't say the same thing over, but you better be careful that you mean what you say. Right? Otherwise, it becomes meaningless repetition. So, 
We need to communicate with God on His terms, not our own. You see, all relationships require communication, do they not? If you want to be a friend, if you want to be a good son or daughter, a father, a mother, an employee, an employer, a husband, a wife, you need to communicate well. Do we succeed in this area? No, not always do we. I'm guilty. Your relationship with God hinges on your communication with Him. If you do not talk to someone, can you get to know and trust them? No. Paul reminds us to be devoted to communicating to and with God. How is your prayer life this morning? Are you devoted to prayer? I find it strange, and, and, and I, I've, I've not experienced this here, so I'm not talking about here, but I have in every other church I've been at. I've seen prayer meetings called, you're like, hey, we're going to meet, and we're just going to show up, and we're going to pray, and one or two people show up. Where's God's people is my general question when that happens. Are they busy? Yeah, they're, they're out shopping on Black Friday, right? Or, you know, Purple Saturday or whatever. I don't know what it is now, Cyber Monday. Um, you know, we, we have time to do the things we want, but to really be still before God, and I'd have to say there's times I'm just guilty when are we going to be still and know that He is God? When are we going to, to take Him seriously and say, we need to be devoted to prayer? Do you know Jesus asked His disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, would you not just, just take some time and pray with me? And they couldn't. They fell asleep, didn't they? They struggled. And He asked them to pray, not just for His benefit, but for the benefit that they would not fall into temptation. Be devoted to prayer. And, and yes, I, I would say this, you can pray anywhere. You can even pray alone. You know, if we call a prayer meeting, well, I can just pray at my house. Do you know some of the most wonderful moments I've ever had in my spiritual walk have come in prayer with other believers? Hearing them cry out to God changes me. Somehow God uses that to impress on me. How are we to pray? Verse 2 says, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So this prayer is we're to, we're to be alert listening to God and we're to be grateful in the midst of it all. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we're to pray without ceasing. This is a command to Christians that those who have turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, we are to pray before the throne of God continually. God does not hear the prayer of a sinner until he repents and believes. How do you know that? John 9, 31. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. So the unrepentant sinner, God's not even hearing that prayer. But the follower of Christ is to pray without ceasing. God is commanding us as Christ followers, you are to be people of prayer. You ever heard that term, uh, practice makes perfect, right? Man, I did. I, I don't know how many times I heard a, my coach say it and I was playing basketball. He's like, man, don't shoot those lazy shots. You practice like you're, you're going to do it in a game. 
I mean, I heard that over and over and over. But do you know, really, what we should say is perfect practice makes perfect, right? And just like in all the other things we do, but especially more so in our walk with Christ, the more you pray, the better you get at it. There's, there's an author by the name of Andrew Murray. Um, I, I call them, the, the, when you read those guys, I call them the dogs, the dead old guys. I mean, these guys walked with God. And, and he's got a, one of his best works, his absolute best works, is one called Humility and one called Absolute Surrender. But there's another book he's got out. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer. I would encourage you to get it, find it. Just walk through that book. It won't take you that long to get through it. You know, it's got a lesson for each day. And you'll be done with it within a month or two or three. Um, but just take time and walk through that. Listen to this guy who's walked with the Lord and how he instructs how we should pray. And then spend time with God doing it. Christ followers, we, we have a personal walk with Christ, and we are to have a constant and consistent relationship with Him. And to do that, it requires devotion to prayer. God speaks to us through many forms, and I'll give you a few. He talks to us through other godly believers, He talks to us through circumstances. But most importantly, He talks to us through His Word and His always His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit will always confirm what His Word says. It will never be in disagreement with the Word of God. And so if you have circumstances or other people giving you wise counsel or you, you're impressed in a certain way, you need to make sure those line up with the Word of God and what the Spirit says about the Word of God. Or you're not hearing from God at all. You must read His Word in order to hear what God is saying. Many times like, God, I just wish God would tell me what to do. He has. He has. Read and study His Word. That's how He speaks. And He'll use His Holy Spirit to, to impress this Word on your heart that you might know it deeply. So why should you pray if God already knows everything you're thinking? I've heard that, op- that, that thing before. Listen, prayer is not about changing God. He's sovereign. He's immutable. It means He's unchangeable. What does prayer do then? Prayer is, is something that causes me to surrender my will to His will. Right? Remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh Lord, uh, please let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but Your will be done. Prayer conforms the flesh to the will of God if we know Christ. And the greatest illustration I think I've ever seen is, is about the guy who's got the, the big fish hook and this big line, and he's in a boat way away from shore, and he throws the line, and he hits the shore, and he starts reeling. And the question is, is he reeling the shore to the boat, or is he reeling the boat to the shore? That's the picture of what prayer does for the believer. It draws the believer to God, for God doesn't move. We need to pray. 
So is God too busy or tired to listen to us? Absolutely not. Listen to Psalm 121, 1-3. I will lift my eyes up to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth and He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. God is listening. God's listening. He's not taking a nap on you. Know that when you pray. God desires His children to talk to Him so that they're conformed to His will. The only way that happens is if you are alert in your prayer life. Taking note when God answers so that you can praise and thank Him for all that He's doing. I urge you, be devoted to prayer. Number two, we need to walk this talk by being concerned for the kingdom work. We see that in verse 3 and 4. Praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the Word. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. For which I have also been imprisoned. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul is asking, please pray for me that I might be concerned for God's work and not my own welfare. That I might be concerned and and pray that I might even know what to say. So if you want to walk like a Christ follower, be concerned for the kingdom work. Ask people to pray for you that you're concerned for kingdom things. A woman came to me some time back and she was crying. She had been at a ball game, a softball game to be specific, and she had been screaming at her child to play a certain way. And her, cry, her child got so upset that her child was crying. And so this, this woman who had come to me, she was convicted because she was wrong and her priorities were wrong because she was screaming at her kid about a game and upsetting her child. She said, I, I really want to change, Pastor. But you know what happened a few weeks later? A few weeks later, she missed church again because there was a ball tournament. Listen, sometimes we we want to change, but we don't change. Repentance is always seen in a change of the heart and mind that results in a change of outward action. Our culture, though, is consumed with the gods of this world. We are by nature idolaters. We must ask God to give us a focus for His kingdom. That we might see that clearly. We should be praying for, for and, and doing God's kingdom work. Pray for ministries that you know that are declaring the truth of Christ and the gospel and making disciples. Pray for missionaries around the world. Pray for the Awana Club that you have here. But I don't know how many times I look at church prayer lists and, and you see things like, well, so-and-so's got cancer, they've got heart disease, they've got eyes, eye issues with their eyes or their knees or their kidneys or their lungs or their backs or, you know, you name it. We're, we're, we generally are concerned about the fleshly needs without focusing on the eternal ones. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for for fleshly things that, you know, if my body hurts, I want to pray, but, but how can I make this prayer about my body to be kingdom focused? God, help, help this body to heal that I might glorify you and share the gospel with more. That's how. That's how. And then, and then why don't we list on our prayer list things like this? Hey, I, I need help with covetousness, please. Would you pray that God would help me not to covet things? Would you pray that, that, 
God would break me of idolatry of this issue or that issue, or, or God would break me of, of lust, or, or that He would break me of my pride or my anger, or maybe just humility in our relationships, whether it be marriage or job. And we should always be praying for the lost, right? So many times our prayer lists are so focused on the temporary that we've lost sight of the eternal. Paul has not done that. His focus is on the eternal. What is going to benefit the kingdom of God? Notice, he's not saying, hey, pray to get me out of jail. Do you see that in his letters? He's saying, hey, pray that I might have wisdom, that I might know it that I might stay focused on what God would have me to do right here, right now in the midst of this suffering. We are to pray for opportunities in ministry. I would encourage you, if, you, if you've not, I, I, know, and I know not everybody can work in a Awana club, but everybody can pray for them, right? Commit to pray for those kids. Commit to pray for the youth. Commit to pray for the people in small groups and in classes that meet for Bible study or mission trips or various ministries this church has, whether it's handing out canned goods, that, that we're not just meeting a physical need, but we're giving Christ away. That we're willing to talk about Him. And pray for, for God to send laborers, for teachers and, and workers that we might show the people of this community, the love of Christ. Paul desired that they pray for him to have boldness. Do you ever think of the Apostle Paul needing more boldness? I, I don't. Maybe that's why we don't think of him needing boldness, because he was always humble enough to ask for boldness, right? And ask people to pray for him. Will you pray for God to be glorified and draw people to Jesus Christ through this very difficult tribulation and trial your pastor's going through? That you're going through because of that? God, can you please, God, can you please use this terrible, terrible thing for us, for your kingdom and your glory and your good? I pray we can pray like that. You see, when we keep the gospel as the central focus and the command of the Great Commission as the central focus, then we see things differently, don't we? And it causes the church to grow. So many times we think, well, we have to do this, 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 and this in order for the church to grow. But sometimes God says, no, 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 you, you don't need to do any of that. You need to be obedient to my word, enter into the suffering that I've given you right now, and you watch what I do. Can you imagine God using one of the most difficult days in the life of this church to bring about growth not only in depth, but in width? I know He can. We need to pray for each other to have boldness to minister right where we are. As you minister in your job, as you minister at your kids' events, in their school, in this community, as you minister with friends and family, ask God to give you boldness for His kingdom work. Question, in what ways do your actions, your thoughts, and your prayers show concern for God's kingdom? Ask yourself that as you listen to yourself. Just listen to yourself pray sometime. 
God, how is this prayer concerned for your kingdom? And be honest with yourself. I have to do that all the time. My prayers can go so selfish, so fast, that they're about me and not him. Lastly, we walk the talk by being wise in our conduct, verse 5 and 6. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. It says, live in wisdom among non-Christians. That's what outsiders are. They're non-believers. It does not say, isolate yourself from them, but to walk wisely among them. You know, there's, there's been a tendency in the past, I go, oh, well, well, we, we can't associate with anybody. You've seen that. Certain churches wall themselves off from the community. Praise God, I don't think this is one. I think you love to get out in the community and share Christ. I really do, and I, I praise God for that. But we are to make the most of every opportunity. I don't know, have you ever sensed God telling you, you need to share the gospel with that person, and then maybe you failed like I have? I remember in high school, there was a, a, a gentleman who was a year older than me, and he was one of our running backs, and, and I was happened that year, I was playing right tackle, and, and uh, I remember we had a lot of games, and we were in the huddle, and I'd turn around, you know, and listen to what was being called, and they called Jay's number, and and, uh, you know, I wasn't afraid to tell Jay, hey, Jay, follow me, man. We're going to go to the end zone. We're going to score. And then I'd pull, and I'd run out. Come on, Jay, let's go. I'm gonna, we're going to knock everybody out of the way, and you're going to go. You know, I had no fear of telling Jay what needed to be done in football. But a year after I graduated, he'd been out two years. Jay died in a rafting accident on the Trinity River. You know what God spoke to me? Did you ever share Christ with Jay? I wept for Jay. And I, I, maybe Jay knew the Lord. Maybe he didn't. That wasn't the point. The point was I missed an opportunity that God asked me to proclaim the gospel. And I didn't do it. God's forgiven me of that. I don't live with that hanging over my head anymore. You see, God is so good Back in 2006, God allowed me to go to a country of Brazil, and I got to live on the Amazon River for 10 days and go up and down that river, and I got to preach the gospel to numerous people. And one night, I had played soccer all afternoon with, with a group of guys there in the native village, and they were incredibly good, by the way. Um, <clears throat> and I was horrible at soccer. But that night... I waited until that game was over, and I, and I asked them all to come to hear the message from God that night. And I got to preach, and I got to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, and 40 people gave their life to Christ that night. It wasn't because of me, but God had taught me, don't miss an opportunity. You just declare the truth. You're the messenger. Let me handle the response. And they professed Christ as Savior, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, this is about us being alert and, and, and walking with the Lord, being ready for the opportunities that God gives us to proclaim His good news. And we must be careful how we tell them. That's what the, the, the rest of this text talks about, to have unity in the body 
Christians are called to speak the truth in love, right? You know that passage. But if we avoid the truth because we don't want to be harmful, my question is, is that love? It's not. But here's the flip side of that. If we pound the truth into people without loving them, we've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal like 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, right? That's why we need to use wisdom in how we talk to others. God will give you the opportunities. You pray for wisdom that God gives you the right kind of speech. And we'll talk about that in a moment. My grandfather, who spent many years discipling me, he told me this as I was, I was beginning my first pastorate. He said, David, you don't have to be the best teacher or the best preacher. You just have to do two things. Love the people and give them Jesus. It's, it sounds really simple, doesn't it? But that's what we're to do. Love the people and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father but through Him. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. We must be bold when we, when, to talk when God tells us to talk and to be wise in what we say. Verse 6, look at it. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. If we speak with grace, we're not beating people over the head with a Bible, but notice it says we're to be seasoned as with salt, right? God's Word says that His followers are the salt of the earth, but what does salt do? It does two things, and you probably use some on Thursday, right? Make something taste better. Your speech should make the gospel desirable by giving a living testimony of what it's done for you. And number two, salt makes one thirsty for more. Our speech about Christ should leave them wanting more. The salt should make them thirsty for Christ, for He is the living water, right? Remember Jesus going to the woman at the well, and, and he, he asked for some water? And she was like, why, why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. And He said, if you knew who was asking, you would ask me, and I would give you living water, and you would never thirst again. We should speak so that others should want to know more. And she was inquisitive, and she, she trusted in Christ, and she went and told everybody about Him, right? The whole town. But you know, each person is different. Some people need a direct approach with the gospel. Some need food for thought. But everyone must have the Holy Spirit to bring conviction so that they might hear the words of God. And remember this, Jesus did not talk to everyone, did He? When he was on trial, he said nothing at times. But then also remember the lowly people that he spent many hours with talking and teaching and healing and, and, and just giving his life to them that they might understand he was sensitive to those who would respond to the gospel. Matthew 7, 6 reminds us, Jesus said, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, be wise with what you say and to whom you say it. Listen as the Holy Spirit directs. Question, are you wise in your conduct in speech with others so that your actions draw people to Christ rather than pushing them away. 
It may be easy for us to say the right things or, uh, and, and talk about walking with Christ like we should, but it's totally different when we get out of this world because you can easily get overwhelmed by someone speaking. It takes devotion in your walk, sensitivity to the kingdom of God, and you must be devoted to prayer to be sensitive to the kingdom of God so that you can walk in wisdom and know when to speak up and when to be quiet. But here's the bottom line truth for you and I. God did not place you here without a reason. He desires that you walk in Him and to be a part of His kingdom work. You exist to glorify Christ. The enemy enemy will tell you everything in the world to keep you from being used by God. He'll tell you, hey, you're too young. You're too old. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You don't feel well enough. But God wants you to know today it's not about you. It's about what He can do in and through you. I love the the lead singer of Casting Crowns. I love to hear him talk. And part of his testimony is this. You know, he's, he's telling his testimony and he thought it was always about his talent and his ability. And God impressed on him one day as he was studying the Word of God. He said this, and if you catch this, It can be very meaningful to you whether you're too prideful or whether you have what I would call a false sense of humility. And he said this, God does not need you. He desires you. God does not need David Kelly for anything that he does. He desires that I be a part of his kingdom work. Big difference. He wants you to be a part of His work. He doesn't need you. Some of you today, have maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you have. If you've not, I pray that you understand today is that day of salvation. If you've not, if you have, if you've turned to Christ and followed Him, I pray that you're obedient to Him, that you've been obedient in the waters of baptism, that you're obedient to be plugged in and and a part of of a growing church community like this one that values the study of the Word of God, that values encouraging one another and holding each other accountable, you need to be a part of something like that that points you to Christ, that points you to kingdom work. I pray that if God is speaking to you this morning, you respond in obedience to Him and whatever He may ask of you. And if you need to know Christ as your Savior, I want you to be reminded, Acts 2.21 says, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's hope. There's hope in Christ Jesus for you, no matter what you've done. As the Holy Spirit draws you, turn from your sin, trust in what Christ has done, and salvation is here. But will you call on Him in faith? today. I pray you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you in whatever manner. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it never comes back void. God, that we always find hope in it because Jesus Christ is the center of it. And God, we thank you so much that your word commands us and calls us to do things 
God, that sometimes we're not good at, but because you have asked us to do them, we know by the power of your very Spirit in us, you will enable us to be devoted to prayer, that we will be mindful of kingdom work, things that you're doing, even in the midst of tribulation, and God, that we will also be sensitive to your voice with how we should speak and talk to others about you. God, find us faithful. Find us obedient to your word. Bless now this time of response that people might hear your voice and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen.